Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, December 13th, we are studying the hymn, Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People. That's hymn number 347 in Lutheran Service Book. This beautiful Advent hymn uses the language of Isaiah 40 to bring us comfort in the peace that is ours from Christ Jesus. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Andy Wright. Pastor Wright serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Wright, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's good to be back with you, and I think this time we're each at different locations. So we, since the last time I was on the show, we took a call to a different congregation. So it's um, been a busy for both both of us, I imagine. That's right. That's right. It's been a, a good busy, a blessed by God, busy of serving His people in, in new locations. God be praised for yeah. providing pastors for His church. Pastor Wright, before yeah. we before we get into the Advent hymn for today. We had some listener email that I think it would be helpful for us to to talk about because it's actually a question that I've been asked recently in Bible class here at Faith on more than one occasion. And so I think it's it's something that folks are thinking about. So the question uh, comes from Claire, and it, she's asking about Luke one thirty five about if God just tabernacled in Mary and and whether or not a Christ would have looked like Mary or whether or not Christ would have had any of Mary's DNA. Uh, and her question comes from the, the sinless nature of Christ. She's curious how those things work together. So this is a, a pretty important topic when we think about the two natures in Christ, that he is both divine and human. Uh, I'll let you, you talk about this, Pastor, right? What, how should we understand Christ's humanity? Does he have Mary's DNA? That's a great question. And you know, what a great Advent question that is, too, as we think about our Lord becoming flesh. Um, or I guess maybe that would be a good question even back in March 25th when we celebrate, you know, um, that and the church year as well. But um, it's, it's something I've gotten that question often as a pastor as well. And I think there's kind of a couple of ways not only to approach it, but also kind of to kind of define some terms as we go along this. Um, one of the things that when we look at the incarnation of the Son of God, and we think about God becoming human flesh and blood, uh, it's it's always mind-boggling for us, first and foremost, that here's God in the flesh. I mean, we're not God. We're creatures, and we're men. You know, I'm just getting over a cold right now, and, and to think about, you know, wait a minute, you know, Jesus took on human flesh and blood, does that mean he was sick or those things too you know so as all of our experiences of what it means to be a man are tainted by original sin so for jesus to be human flesh and blood but not have original sin but to bear our iniquities but not have those consequences of original sin in, in his life 
you know, it's, it's just hard for us to wrap our minds around that. So when we start to look at a question like that, we have to go first to the scriptures. So, you know, the, your listener referred to Luke 135, um, you know, with uh, you, the Son of God. Uh, a few verses earlier in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, um, we're told, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So you started off the program, you know, directing us to that right doctrine of what the scriptures teach with the two natures of Christ. And when we think about Jesus being in the womb of Mary, we see him as her real son. You know, um, the Book of Concord and the Formula of Concord, specifically Article 8, draws a lot upon um, the history of the church um, as it confesses what the scriptures teach. Uh, going back to the Council of Chalcedon in 451, where it talks about the two natures of Jesus and that personal union, what that entails. Um, so kind of just, you know, going into those things, it's we can say that Jesus shares, you know, a, a flesh with Mary only without sin. So it doesn't really use categories like DNA necessarily, but to be man is not to be sin. Uh, God created man, and God created man not sinful. So sin is something that has been, you know, ever since the fall into sin, then passed down through us. So what's different about then the conception of Jesus that we don't have, that we don't share with him? Well, there's that conception by the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine will talk about that a lot, too, when he talks about kind of original sin going through that kind of being passed on through that natural conception of what we think of in that way. So uh, is it reasonable to say that Jesus would share some traits with Mary? I think so, um, but he's not. he doesn't share her sin. That's something he doesn't share because he's her savior, even as he is her son. And that's why then too, we'll even refer to uh, Mary as the mother of God, because not that she uh, is the source of God, but rather she is the the one who bears the Son of God in the flesh, and Jesus is God himself. And he's fully God and fully man, and that's united in a way that one communicates to the other so that she is the mother of Jesus, she is the mother of God in that regard. So that's kind of maybe a little drawn-out explanation, but it's a, it's a great question. And finally, at the end of the day, too, we have to just kind of just let Scripture kind of hold those things in, before us, and even if we can't fully understand it, uh, but it's uh, it's something for us worth to think about. But it's it's a great comfort too, that you know just as we have you know human flesh and blood now even now in the ascension of Jesus, his humanity is at the throne of God interceding for us you know, as the Son of God and His person, and our bodies will be raised just as He is raised, and you know He has a mother just as we have a mother, and it's a it's a wonderful thing to think about, especially during this Advent tide and going into Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And as you said, it's a very comforting teaching to know that Christ shares our humanity without our sin, rightly, rightly spoken, but that he shares our humanity so, so completely that, you know, he, he can comfort us in our weaknesses, as you said, right now, ascended to the father's right hand. He is, he is reigning, he is ruling, he, as our brother, he is interceding on our behalf as our brother and our savior. So this is a, a great comfort. And, and as you said, you know, the, the concept of DNA is just not the way that the, the scriptures speak or the way that the Lutheran confessions speak, but the way that they do speak 
and and knowing what we you know what at least what I understand about DNA, to to think that Christ shared Mary's DNA that that seems consistent with the teaching that Jesus is fully a human being without our sin, as as you were saying, and that's the the teaching that we we need to hold on to. That's what the scriptures very clearly give to us, um, and again, it's it's for our our great comfort. So. Thank you for helping us with that question, Pastor Wright. Thank you, Claire, for writing in. It's always a joy to hear from our faithful listeners. Please send those questions if you have them, and we will cover them as best as we can. So, Pastor Wright, we get to talk about the Advent hymn, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People, this morning. Tell us a little bit about the season of Advent first before we take a look at this hymn. Advent is one of my favorite seasons of the church year, and sadly, it's only four Sundays. And it... I don't know about you, um, but it seems like Advent, you blink and it's gone, which is always a shame. You know, my, my family, we, t we talk about this every year. It's just like, wait a minute, Advent's over? Uh, we were doing our devotions last night, and uh, my kids, we, they always fight over. I, I have five kids, and they fight over who gets to light the Advent candles and who gets to, um, you know, snuff them out. We have a little snuffer and we have to be careful who lights it too. So we don't start a fire in our home. And, you know, <laughs> then that, that, that kind of ruins Advent pretty quickly. But, um, you know, just like, they're like, Oh, three candles already. You know, we're at the third week of Advent and, you know, this third week of Advent is Gaudita. Um, and the mission I serve, we, we, uh, use the, the one year lectionary and we also have rose vestments and pyramids for this past Sunday. So this is kind of the, the rose or the pink Sunday. I have four girls, you know, so this is pink week. And, um, but you know, the, the history of Advent, I mean, it, you can kind of read different sources and I'm sure you've kind of touched on this throughout your series here, but I think just kind of for our purposes, it, it's important for us to, to kind of keep our focus always on what is to come. And, and that's the, the Christian faith is an Advent faith. It's a faith that's always looking to the horizon when the Son of Man will return in all of his glory and splendor, even as he has already come and he still comes to us. So Advent, we're waiting, but yet Jesus is still here too. So that's the great joy of Advent is that the Lord who has come and is coming again still comes to us through his word and sacraments. Um, uh, it seems maybe I just have noticed this more. I don't know. I could be wrong, and I'm willing to be corrected on it. But Advent is becoming kind of a trendy thing amongst uh, kind of you'll see like just different social uh, media groups or, or different things like that, even outside of like what you would normally think of, like Lutheranism and even Roman Catholicism or Anglicanism or, or churches that usually observe Advent. And you'll you'll see it kind of, you know, which is great to see Advent, you know, kind of making a a resurgence amongst even those who maybe have never heard of it before. But sadly, what sometimes it gets, you know, uh, marketed as is, oh, we're getting ready for Christmas. And, you know, lest we just dismiss that out of hand, there is, there is an element to that. That's not necessarily wrong. However, it really just doesn't capture that fullness. So for us, you know, thinking about, you know, that those promises of God that have been fulfilled, are made to us of what is to come and even those promises that we cling to even here and now I think that really defines Advent for us and uh, really shapes our our Christian life even as this church year begins with with the season it kind of it, it fixes us in our eyes towards the work of Christ and, and what is to come even after his ascension as we await that glorious final day what's your what's your favorite Advent hymn Pastor Wright 
Boy, that's a hard question. Sometimes it varies depending on what Sunday it is. But I, I would say that's probably right. my, fav- my favorite Advent, Advent hymn is, Oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You? Yes. If that's pretty hard to beat. That's one of those hymns that as a pastor, you sing that hymn. If you sing it as the hymn of the day, you can almost just kind of get into the pulp and say, yeah, that that's pretty much what what it's what it is. <laughs> Amen. You know, <laughs> and sit back down. You know, and uh, it's beautiful. I I've used that hymn um, in funeral sermons. I've used that hymn other times of the year, just quoting it at least. You know, but but uh, we love that hymn, and and we'll I I always go on, go around singing that all the time during the Advent season. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been asking listeners to share their favorite hymns, and we received a feedback from Jeff and Jessica in Pennsylvania, who shared in late November that this hymn that we're looking at today, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People, that is their favorite hymn. They, they're they really looking forward to this study today, and I am too. This is another good Advent hymn. I think a very classic one, the, the tune is one I think that, that folks know pretty well, and the, the words we very much associate with Advent, Comfort, Comfort Ye people is the hymn that we're looking at today. Before we look at the individual stanzas, Pastor Wright, any thoughts on the hymn as a whole, any background on history or or authorship or anything like that you'd like to share before we jump in? Sure. I I think that's kind of somewhat helpful kind of to know. Um, So this hymn is by the hymn writer Johann Olarius. And uh, you'll notice there's another Johann Olarius uh, in the, the hymnal as well. There's Johann Gottfried Olarius. Uh, he was the, the nephew of Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People. And this hymn writer of For Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People, Johann Olarius, he lived from 1611 to 1684. And his father was a pastor with the name of, you guessed it, Johann Olarius. <laughs> so it's uh, one of those family names that kind of keeps going on. So it's kind of like you always got to check, wait a minute, who is this? You know, what, which one? Um, but uh, he was, uh, you know, the, uh, most of this stuff um, I, I got from that, the new kind of companion to the hens and things like that, that CPH put out, what, has it been a year or two ago now? I can't even remember. That's been really helpful and, and a joy to read. Um, but uh, he was a, a pastor, uh, superintendent, a member of a consistor, uh, consistory, you know, kind of overseeing some churches. I apologize for my nasally voice. I'm getting over a cold, so <laughs> if I sound like that. Um, but uh, so that's kind of some of the background um, that we have with this hymn. Uh, and, and if you notice kind of those dates, then, too, you're, you kind of think of, you know, he's uh, going to be somewhat coming out of that 30 years war. Uh, like Paul Gerhardt did, you know, so that's going to be some of the events in his life that were a part of his day. And, you know, is it any wonder then, too, to kind of really cling to those words of comfort from God's word and to write hymns along those lines when you think of, you know, that's when the state of the world at the time, or, you know, at least the world as you know it, is just an upheaval. And, I mean, death is all around you, and and it's just, it's not pleasant, you know, Um, but kind of in that same vein, as kind of that our context at least uh, of Paul Gerhardt with, in some of those ways, but um, yeah. a little bit some differences, you know, in terms of some of the things that he maybe hung around with and kind of some of his areas that he was in, but but still the same time frame nonetheless. You, you mentioned Pastor Wright, I think that you use the one year lectionary there in Topeka, and this this yes. text then would go very well with the third Sunday in Advent when the Old Testament reading is Isaiah forty one to eight or to eleven. It looks like you have the option of going longer. 
Yes, yeah, this, uh, you know, so the Old Testament readings kind of are a later addition um, to, the, to the lectionary. But yeah, this, this is typically um, sung dur during the third Sunday or third week of Advent in the one-year lectionary. So there's always then that kind of that dynamic, too, of rejoicing, and then here's this comfort, you know, that goes along with it. And then the gospel reading for this Sunday is, is from uh, Matthew 11, when you think of John the Baptist in prison. And so here's rejoicing and comfort to this man who's in prison as he's pointing his disciples back to Christ, of Jesus being fulfilled. Um, I, I'm of the opinion he wasn't doubting there. I, I hold, I stick with Luther there, but he's still kind of pointing those people to uh, the one who is the promised one. So there's all that kind of that wrapped up in there. And I mean, and John the Baptist too is one of the heralds in Isaiah 40 as well. All right, so the text for today is Lutheran Service Book 347, Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People. Here is stanza one. Comfort, comfort, ye my people. Speak ye peace, thus saith our God. Comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning neath their sorrows loath. Speak ye to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. Tell her that her sins I cover, and her warfare now is over. That is stanza one of the hymn, Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People. So let, let's talk just about that opening line, Pastor Wright. Comfort, comfort, ye my people. Speak peace. What, what is this Christian comfort with which this hymn starts? The Christian comfort is we see ultimately in Christ, but it's rooted in, as we look at the text too, in God's promises to his people, um, the words of encouragement to God's exiled people that, listen, the day is coming, warfare will be over, you will be at rest, you will be at peace, you will be in those places that I have promised you to be. And, um, and for us, we find that in, in Christ, who is our, our Sabbath rest, who is our redemption, who is the one who you know, leads us out of our, our exile of sin, death, and the devil into our eternal home, and um, who speaks that word of peace as only he can give, which is a word of atonement, a word of forgiveness, as he spoke peace to his disciples on Easter Sunday. So as we hear those words of comfort for us in that first stanza, that's what all that imagery even just comes to mind. Um, you know, we, we had a funeral here at the, the church yesterday, and uh, our closing hymn was this hymn. It just kind of worked out that way. So here, you know, as these people who are mourning the loss of their dear, um, it was a, a, a woman who died, she, her husband, you know, mourning the loss of his wife, mourning the loss of a mother, two children, and then even this woman's mother is still living, the, the loss of her daughter. Here's God saying, comfort, comfort. Here's Christ. He's risen from the grave. Even as I spoke those words of comfort to my people long ago and promised to send the one who would redeem them. I've come, and that word of peace is spoken to you, even as you mourn the loss of a dear sister in Christ. Yeah, this, this hymn does make a fantastic hymn for a funeral, particularly during the season of Advent or Christmas, or even into Epiphany, when, when you're thinking about the coming of the Lord, and the, the way that this hymn speaks about that, the comfort that's here in this hymn is a, a wonderful comfort at the time of the death of the Christian, that we might mourn in hope with the comfort that God would speak to us. Talk a, talk a little bit about, you know, comfort, comfort, 
ye my people. We've got some of that, that older English in there. Speak ye peace, thus saith our God. So this is God addressing someone, telling that person to, or those people, ye, I think is, is plural, right? Or I, I'm not positive now. But the, so yeah. God's telling someone to comfort his people. Talk about that dynamic and, and draw then from Isaiah 40, the background for this hymn. Yeah, so um, there's a, an element of this of God speaking. Um, there kind of, And we think about it in Isaiah 40, especially verses 1 to 11, there's kind of three heralds, you know, that we will often speak of. Um, so he, he's reminding them who they are as God's people. Um, but he's also, there's, you know, there's the, his messengers that he sends to speak to them, even as John the Baptist is one of those heralds, one of those messengers. He's the voice um, in Isaiah 4, verse 3, and in the, the one-year lectionary this coming Sunday, when the um, Jews go to ask John who he is, he tells them he's the voice, you know, just as Isaiah said. And... Um, so in some ways, you know, as we, we think about then those, those messengers that God sends to his people, and we think about then who we are then too, who's speaking peace? Well, it's our pastors are speaking peace. It's our brothers in Christ who are speaking peace. It's, you know, this him who is speaking peace. Um, I mean, it's a, this is one of those great instances too, so that so here then you have those Old Testament heralds, and now then, too, even those heralds are continuing to speak through this hymn as God's word. I mean, th this this hymn is a good example, too, of just really taking God's word and and almost at times word for word what the, the text says and then just really letting it preach to us. And so then um, for that that to come through, I mean, even the hymn writer, too, can be kind of that herald. It's, it's just that that message and messengers of God being being sent to us to speak that word of peace and kind of directing and fixing our eyes to where peace is found. So God sends these heralds, both in the context of Isaiah 40 and still today, our pastors, this hymn writer, Christians who speak God's word to us, they, God sends them to speak peace to his people. As the hymn stanza continues, then it, the command is to comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning neath their sorrows load. So... Talk more about who this is God is sending his comfort to, the ones sitting in darkness, mourning under their sorrows. Yeah, you know, that, that brings to mind Isaiah 9, you know, sitting in darkness, and kind of jumps us then anytime we think about the people who sit in darkness, have seen a great light, or who dwell in darkness, you know, that, that draws us to epiphany now, <laughs> you know, to that, kind of uh, th those promises as well. Um, but we think about the effects of sin in our lives, you know, the sorrow, the mourning, those things are a result of the fall into sin as the wages of sin is death. And it's not just death itself, but all of the things that go along with it. Um, and the only cure for it is the peace that they're waiting for, that peace that God would come to redeem them. He would rend the heavens and come down and redeem them. And... Um, you know, to, to couch that all, or not even couch it, but to root it all in the death and resurrection of Christ is really then where it finds its true fulfillment. But that, that idea of sitting in darkness, mourning, being in, in exile, being uh, an expectation of deliverance, being in all of that stuff, and that load, that sorrow's load, um, and sitting in that darkness for God to be the one who comes in, to enlighten 
to redeem, to save, and all of those things that he does for us. Right. The, the theme of God bringing his light into the darkness is one that we've seen in many of these Advent hymns and certainly a theme that shows up in the Advent readings. And then the, the load of the sorrows, that in my mind also brings me to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, where he talks about coming to him to have rest, that, that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So, so Christ comes with this comfort. God sends his messengers with this comfort to proclaim Christ as the light shining in the darkness, the one who brings us his rest. Now, as the hymn continues, then it's speak ye to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. So we we're, comfort is to God's people. That's the one sitting in darkness, mourning under the load. Now it's to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. What's the why, why Jerusalem? And how does that apply to the people of God today? Yeah, well, I mean, we think of Jerusalem in, in the Old Testament as, you know, when we think about the the kingdoms of God and we think about Jerusalem kind of oftentimes even being used for, you know, kind of in, in numerous ways, even as, you know, to refer to to his people as a whole sometimes, you know. Um, but, uh, but for us then, too, who are God's people, we are the new Jerusalem, we are the, the, the new Israel, um, we are the people of God, you know, so when when we we see this speak ye to Jerusalem, even though we may be in Illinois or Kansas or, or Ohio or Florida or wherever the case may be, Michigan or any number of Iowa, that's still us, right? We're, we're still Jerusalem as the people of God. So that's, uh, there, there's comfort in, in that God is speaking to his people, though. I think that's where the Jerusalem kind of language then really draws us back to. Hey, these are the people who have been called by God, who have been claimed in the waters of baptism, who have been set apart, you know, as God's people. He's speaking to them. The heralds are speaking to them. Hey, I'm talking to you, the very people that I know by name, that I've called out of darkness and into my light. Right. And so the and thinking about the historical context of Isaiah 40, you know, Isaiah is writing those words to those who are in exile from Jerusalem. They've perhaps even seen the destruction of Jerusalem before being taken into exile in Babylon. And so it is to those people who have gone into exile. They need this comfort. They need this peace and this this change that that God is going to, as the hymn continues, cover her sins and end her warfare. Again, that's language from Isaiah 40 that, that certainly applies to those who are in exile in Babylon, but to us as Christians still today, this is language we need. Talk about the, the conclusion of stanza one. Right, yeah. Um, it, you know, that's a, a great point. You know, and you think about then too, going back to like the, the hymn writer, and I mentioned about the 30 years war. Here's somebody who, who's seen warfare firsthand and in terms of just the ramifications of all of that, all of the death and the suffering and just the, just the terribleness of those things. To know that God will say, tell her that her sins are cover and her warfare now is over. It's over. You know, one of the hardest things sometimes, you know, we, we think about going through like 2020 and the pandemic and all those things. What was always, when is this going to be done? When is this going to be over? When are things going to be back to normal? Or when is just give me an end point? Because we know when things are an end point, then that's when we fix our eyes to that. And we can know and kind of see, for lack of a better term, the light at the end of the tunnel. For God to say that 
It is coming when your warfare, when your exile, when your death, when your suffering, when your mourning, when this load that, and that you are bearing, it will be over. And you will be at rest. You will be at peace. And I mean, what a great advent ending that first stanza is then too, right? The day is coming when Jesus will bring us to be with himself, when he will raise us from the grave, when we will be in that new heavens and that new earth with him forever. In the new Jerusalem, warfare will be over, sin will be done, suffering, the assaults and crafts of the devil, done, and we will be at rest. Yeah, that is a fantastic Advent theme that the promises of Christ will not and cannot fail. And so as we wait, we have this comfort to know that the warfare will be over. Our fight against sin, death, and the devil, the struggles of this life, they will come to an end. Christ will return to take us to our eternal home. And it is that for that day for which we wait. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andy Wright this morning about the hymn, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People. We need to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. It is Tuesday, December 13th. We are studying the hymn, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People, with Pastor Andy Wright. He serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Prior to the break, we looked at stanza one of this fantastic hymn. Now here is stanza two. Yea, her sins our God will pardon, blotting out each dark misdeed. All that well deserved his anger he no more will see or heed. She hath suffered many a day. Now her griefs have passed away. God will change her pining sadness into ever springing gladness. That stands at two of hymn number 347 in Lutheran service book, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People. So it, it looks like we pick up with similar language in stanza two from where we left in stanza one. God will pardon her sins and blot out each dark misdeed. Talk about the, the way that this hymn talks about this forgiveness. It was covering sins. Now it's pardoning and blotting them out. Talk about that, that imagery surrounding forgiveness. I think it really kind of uh, expands out and, and proclaims to us the, what this means. Kind of, It's almost kind of like a, a commentary even on the first stanza in some regards, I think, to 
to show this connection with forgiveness, to show this connection with, um, you know, the atonement and how this is regarded even peace, um, darkness, uh, those themes of being warfare, being over, and um, and uh, it's it's really showing that God's mercy and giving us a time when we will have comfort forever and our warfare will be over is because the Lord has had mercy by sending his son to take on our sin and pardon them and blot it out because we rightly deserve his anger, right? All that well deserved his anger, he no more will see or heed. So here's God who is just but also the justifier of the one who has faith in him, as Romans tells us. So, I mean, it really kind of points us even, this is where we then see the, the here and now. Like, wait a minute, here, God is pardoning, has pardoned my sins. God, even as he, you know, it, it, singing this in the context of the, ser the service too, even as I heard a few minutes ago, the pastor say, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or, you know, I'm going to, to kneel at the, the altar rail and receive the body and blood of Christ for my forgiveness, life, and salvation. God pardons my sins. He gives me comfort even now as I look forward to that day when I will have comfort forever, peace forever, warfare will be over. That it's just quite a shift. God, God takes all of this stuff that we have and gives us in return um, all that Christ has done. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said it that way, that there's that, that exchange that happens where Christ takes our sins upon himself and then he gives us his righteousness. Because I, I do think that that's in the background of the way this stanza speaks. You know, God will pardon and blot out our dark misdeeds. So he, he covers them with the righteousness of Christ. It's more than just uh, that he erases them and leaves us with a blank slate. But rather, he, he takes our sins off of us to put them in Christ, and he puts upon us the righteousness of Christ. And I, I think, you know, that's in the background of where it says he will, he doesn't see those things that would deserve his anger. He doesn't see our sins anymore. Well, the reason he doesn't see our sins is because when he looks at us, he now sees the righteousness of Christ that's covering us instead of our sins. So this, this blotting out, this erasing of sins is more than just a getting rid and leaving us with a blank slate to fill up on our own. Because if we were left that way, then we would fill it up with more sins. Instead, he covers us with the righteousness of Christ, and that's what God looks at, and so counts us righteous. Right. And, and I think what one of the things that this hymn does well then, too, is it really shows us what that means, too, that when God doesn't see our sins anymore, it doesn't mean that he looks the other way and excuses sin. Right, all that well deserved is anger. No, these things are wrong. These things have transgressed against God, but it's because of His mercy that Christ has borne these and taken care of it. You know, I mean, there's always these discussions in the public sphere about debt cancelization or, or all these things like that. Debt has to go somewhere. It just doesn't go into thin air. Our sin has to be atoned for, or God would be a liar. You know, and so Christ pays that price in our place for us that's why god as you just beautifully said he doesn't doesn't see us he only sees the righteousness of christ and that's and 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 there's the great comfort in that too that that it, it acknowledges the seriousness of sin it acknowledges 
And God doesn't just say then too, oh, it's not that big of a deal, guys, or it's not that you just buck up, you can get through this. No. He, he, this is real, and it's weighty, it bears us down, and we deserve God's wrath and anger, but God pardons us. And he, you know, he is the one, now then, who sees only Christ when he looks at us. I just, you know, what a comfort that is. That's right, yeah, more, more comfort from this fantastic hymn. As this stanza yeah. continues then, you talk, it, it, there's this context of, again, a, a reversal that God works. So she hath suffered many a day. Now those griefs have passed away. God will change her pining sadness into ever springing gladness. So from suffering to griefs being gone, from sadness to gladness, talk about this a reversal that God works as it's described here at the end of the second stanza. Sure. And something I, I kind of wanted to mention too, that I have at the get go and, and it just, it keeps coming to my mind is, um, you know, when you talk about a hymn and you talk about, like, a, a, a text and a tune, this is a tune that, you know, you just, you, you think about how beautifully it ties together with the text. Um, so when we think about the, these reversals, too, just, um, I mean, I'm not a musician, so that, um, we have a, a really wonderful cantor here at, at St. John's in Topeka who teaches the children all these things about hymns and just wonderful to, to behold and to be blessed to have her serve here. Um, but we think about um, just this idea of um, she has suffered many a day, now her sins, her, now her griefs have passed away. God will change her pining sadness into ever springing gladness. And to hear that tune, even in my head just now as I'm, I'm saying those words, just that, that back and forth between those things, it just, it, it it proclaims beautifully that reversal of here's this now this here's this now this and it just uh, it's wonderful um this hymn too is one of the first hymns that my my oldest daughter is um well she'll be nine next month now which is crazy to think but um she this is she memorized this hymn when she was oh i don't know how old now like two even two or three and so I always hear her voice singing it, too, with that tune. So there is a little bit of a sentimentality. It's, you know, we can take those things too far. But I just, in, in my mind, too, just when I hear that tune, I, I hear my, my, my daughter singing that. But that, that reversal, right, um, that God would take our griefs and change them and our sadness into ever-springing gladness. I mean... Just beautiful, beautiful imagery there. Um, you know, the translator of this hymn is Catherine Winkworth, translated a lot of um, hymn, hymns that we have in our hymnal. But Yeah, um, yeah th those reversals that are mentioned there at the end of stanza two uh, take my mind to Psalm 30, which has a couple of those. Psalm 30, verse 5 states that, and this fits with what we were talking about earlier, his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And again, at the, at the end of that same psalm, Psalm 30, verse 11, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And then verse 12, that my, my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. So I, psalm, <laughs> psalm 30 has those similar imagery that, that is drawn from here. Again, Isaiah 40, of course, is the, the primary text, but other scripture passages sure. speak this same way of, of God changing sadness into, yeah, pining sadness. So that, that longing sadness, that pining is, an, I think, a good advent word. 
but then into mm-hmm. ever springing gladness, a, a perpetual and everlasting joy. This is what, what God brings to us. And again, what comfort there is for us as we sing this hymn. Let's, let's move yeah. into stanza. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I just kind of, that was wonderful. And kind of just something that came to mind that just hit me as you were explaining that too, is this kind of a, another Advent theme. And, and it's kind of been in the in implicit, but to explicitly show us that, you know, suffering and the things of this world are temporary but peace and comfort for the Christian are eternal, right? That, so that language of pining sadness, ever springing gladness, like pining is always this, it's never fulfilled, but ever springing is overflowing. And just kind of that, that kind of that, that reversal too, even in just the, in terms of temporal versus eternal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's Paul, Paul talks that way. Is it second Corinthians? I think four about the, the temporary nature of, of our sufferings now, but the eternal joy that, that waits. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Very good. Let's take a look at stanza three. Hark the herald's voice is crying in the desert far and near calling sinners to repentance since the kingdom now is here. Oh, that warning cry obey now prepare for God away. Let the valleys rise to meet him and the hills bow down to greet him. That is stanza three of the hymn, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People. So here we get the the word hark. We've seen this in previous Advent hymns. It's in the hark, the herald angels sing. The word hark means listen. I I really think that we should bring this back. I, I should I should start using this to get my children's attention. Hark. And maybe they'll maybe they'll listen to me when I when I say hark. So tell us about this, this stanza. <laughs> hark, the herald voice is crying. Listen to this guy. Who's, who's the herald? Well, it, it, if you do that and it works, you, you let me know, and okay, then I'll give I it will. a try. You, you, you can be the guinea pig. Okay. <laughs> As a, I'm one who, had to, who couldn't get a two-year-old little boy to listen to me last night. I, I'm willing to try <laughs> yelling hark at him. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Um, but, uh, I mean, here then, we, we see that, you know, uh, I mean, obviously, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we think, is kind of a different, you know, um, hymn kind of family in terms of, like, where the, the roots of it are. But, but still, the, this hark, you know, that listen, um, you know, when the herald preaches, listen up. Listen to him. You know, when John came preaching, you needed to heed his call to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When um, the bridegroom comes and the watchmen are, are yelling, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. You awaken and you trim your lamps and go, you know, to draw on the end of the church here. So um, it's uh, this idea then. So as we've had this laid before us in the first two stanzas, it kind of moves us then to what is to be our attitude to this preaching. Listen up, guys listen just as the people were to listen to john the baptist the one who was the voice crying out in the wilderness um so listen to him listen as we here sit in 2022 in advent of 2022 listen hark the herald's voice is crying even now um of what of who we are as god's people of his jerusalem comfort is coming guys listen up Right. Okay. So we've got that familiar language from Isaiah 40 that is quoted in the Gospels concerning John the Baptist. This is again very familiar Advent territory for us. You know. So the herald's voice is crying in the desert. Now he's calling sinners to repentance. 
and there's going to be a warning cry that we need to listen to. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about comfort, your sins are going to be forgiven, and, and all this, you know, what we say, gospel, good news. But now the herald's out in the wilderness crying repentance. So how do these things go together, the preaching of repentance and the warning cry, but comfort? How do those things go together? Yeah, I think it's an important thing for us. This kind of goes even to the theme of Advent, too, of Advent is a penitential season, maybe not in the same exact austere way as Lent, but to be ready for the coming of Jesus is a call to repentance and faith. And just as John the Baptist called the people to repentance and faith, repent, why the kingdom of God is at hand. So for us to hear these great words of comfort, it's, it's in a sense to... Um, to call sinners to repentance is to call them and direct them to where true comfort is really found. That's always the thing, too, as we think about like these last few weeks of Advent. Um, there's going to be a lot of voices crying in our lives, trying to tell us to hark. But li- what herald are you listening to? Who are you hearkening to? It's, that's where the call is to listen to God's word and turn from your sin. Don't lose sight of what God has given you and what he promises will be because you don't want to be caught unaware. And what does that mean? Don't, you don't want to be caught in unpenitence, which refuses this comfort. It pushes it aside and says, I don't need it. You want to be one who is ready and awake. And God is the one who does that as he pardons your sin, as we heard in the previous stanza. But there is that, that warning cry to obey, right? That God, Jesus is indeed coming, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And for us, that's great comfort. But lest we forget, we are sinners in this world, and he calls us to repentance. Right, yeah, this, this message of repentance is, is preached because the kingdom now is here. Again, that's what John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we need to listen, to hearken to this warning cry. And and the way we do so, as the hymn continues, is to prepare for God a way. Let the valleys rise to meet him and the hills bow down to greet him. So how what, what does this language mean, this idea of preparing a way for God with, it sounds like land being made level is the imagery there. What does that mean? I think, I mean, there, there's a fair amount of poetry with this too, this idea of nothing is is put in the way of meeting God, I think is the way that I always kind of preach it at least. You know, um, you know, it, it's nothing high nor low. You know, even as we think of like Romans eight, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And you know, there's height nor depth, or angels nor rulers, and things present. You know, all that wonderful, wonderfully beautiful passage in Romans eight. But these things, everything makes way um, when the king is coming like you know if you watch movies and like the king or the the general is coming through who maybe has long been thought I'll make room for him they step aside right and he comes forth the uh, the, the the crowd parts the waters part everything um, is is made open wide for the king to ride into um, even as he rode through the streets of Jerusalem on a donkey to die for us. And so in our lives, when we hear that warning cry, you know, and all of creation groans for the day of Christ, and we groan as we've been singing about our mourning and those things that we, um, you know, um, 
come whatever may be, nothing nothing is to, to be in our way of, of Christ and him coming as he is here now, you know, that promise, he's here now, right? You know, if, if you're if things in your life are getting in the way of him here now, that's a a telltale sign of, you know, listen, <laughs> repent because he is coming again and that the day um you know the the day will soon be over when when uh there will be no more as Jesus was it in Luke talks about you know when the work no more work can be done but um not that we're working for our salvation but the the point being made so just this idea of of making the way for the lord of creation groaning out and in our lives repenting turning from our sin and fixing our eyes solely, completely on Christ and faith, who has pardoned our, our guilt. All right, let's pick up stanza four, which continues with this imagery of a way. Stanza four. Make ye straight what long was crooked. Make the rougher places plain. Let your hearts be true and humble, as befits his holy reign. For the glory of the Lord now or earth is shed abroad and all flesh shall see the token that his word is never broken. That is stanza four of the hymn, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People. All right, so Pastor Wright, this, this stanza starts with making straight the crooked way, making rough, uh, sorry, making the rough places now a plain. It sounds like more of that same way imagery is, is there. Don't let anything get in the way, whether it's a crooked path or a rough place. Don't let any of that get in the way of God coming to you and meeting him appropriately. And, and then I think this, this stanza makes it a little more obvious what that means. It talks about let your hearts be true and humble as befits his holy reign. Why is a, a true, well, what is a true and a humble heart? And, and why is that befitting of God's holy reign? God teaches us that a broken and contrite heart, O oh Lord, you will not despise. And, and so the attitude of the Christian is or even the life of a Christian, maybe that's a better way of saying it, is a life of humility. And it's not this idea of, you know, um, kind of, uh, what would we say, even just like, uh, it's not a false humility. And it's not even humility in, a, in the sense of like, um, you got to just be down on yourself all the time. But it's a humility that realizes and knows that salvation is not found in yourself. And knows that when you look at yourself, you'll see nothing but sin. But when you look at Christ, you see nothing but righteousness, forgiveness, and salvation. So that, for our hearts to be true and humble, is for our hearts to find our rest in Christ, to find our comfort in Christ, and to cling to him. Pastor Wright, we're going to try to get him back on the line. That rest, that humble rest that Pastor Wright was talking about, that is to cling to Christ. Let your hearts be true and humble, a true heart, one that believes, one that is sincere, one that does not hide the hide from the reality of the repentance that God speaks to us through his messengers, a true heart, a humble heart, one that recognizes the, its place before God, that I am indeed a sinner, that I justly deserve his anger, as stanza two reminded us. And yet I know in that true faith, in that humble faith, that God comes in his holy reign. He comes as my king. How will I receive him as my king? This is the, the question that is asked in, in Pastor Wright's favorite Advent hymn, and mine as well. Oh Lord, how shall I meet you? It is with a true faith, 
with a humble heart. That is befitting his holy reign. For God comes as a king. Would I rebel against his reign? Would I try to find a better king? That would not be befitting of God's holy reign. Instead, humility, that is befitting of God's holy reign to recognize that God can do a much better job than I can at being king. When when I try to be king, it usually doesn't go very well. I make a pretty lousy king. On the other hand, Christ comes as king. He is the true king for us, the one who comes in humility to save. So let your hearts be true and humble as befits Christ's holy reign. I think we have Pastor Wright back on the phone to help us with the last part of this stanza. For the glory of the Lord now or earth is shed abroad and all flesh shall see the token that his word is never broken. Pastor Wright, welcome back. Thank you. Sorry about that. I'm, but I, I sounded like you were doing much more beautifully than I was with that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, well, kind of ironically, um, we see that God's word is never broken, unlike connections with computers and phones sometimes, That's right? right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God doesn't have technical difficulties. Um, but uh, yeah, so everything that, you know, just building off of that, that the glory of the Lord is shed abroad over all the earth. You know, God's glory is made known. His righteousness, his salvation is made known. And all flesh shall see the token that his word is never broken. So the day is coming, you know, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about Philippians 2 language there. I mean, obviously for the unbeliever, that will be a, a day of condemnation and judgment. But God's word is not broken in that. But yet for us, those who God has called as his people, um, those who has, he has made our hearts humble, confessing our sin, trusting solely in Christ who is our king, then we see and rejoice and find comfort in the fact that his word is never broken, just as it isn't broken to us now. So it really kind of goes back to those, the promises of the whole hymn, that all those promises that God has been making to us and that we've seen fulfilled in Jesus and John the Baptist, and 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 all of that work, and that God still is in our midst now, ruling and reigning among us, and doing those things, it will never, never be broken. Mm. Pastor Andy Wright is pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas, helping us today to look at hymn number three hundred forty-seven in Lutheran service book, "Comfort, Comfort, Ye My People." Pastor Wright, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you very much. Blessed Advent and Christmas to you. The word of God endures forever. His word is never broken. God be praised that he sends this comfort to us through preachers of repentance and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you'd like to let us know your Advent hymn, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.